finish up our series on the true biblical Jesus. Up to this point, we've been talking about first what inspired this whole series, which is a false teaching of Christ, a teaching of a candy-coated counterfeit Christ who is accepting and loving and all-inclusive and of diversity, etc., etc., this Christ who is supposed to be bring a different message from the Old Testament God and be different from the Old Testament God. And we found out that none of that is true from a biblical standpoint. Now, again, I've said this multiple times. If that is the Christ that you choose to believe in, the Christ that is being taught by the pride cult, the the Christ that is being taught by the woke cult, the Christ that unfortunately is being taught by a lot of Christian churches, then you're perfectly welcome to believe in that Christ. You are not, however, free from the consequences of believing in that Christ. That is not the Christ of the Bible. So, I set out to basically do an overview of who the Christ of the Bible is. And the first thing we established is, in according to the Bible, the Christ of the Bible is God. He is one of the three persons that makes up the one God. And God created the law. As a matter of fact, it was indeed Christ's finger who wrote the law on the tablets for Moses. And then we went into how the law states that there is such a thing as wickedness, as sin, and there is such a thing as righteousness, and there are penalties for sin. There are penalties for wickedness. As a matter of fact, there is no reason for a law, for objective, right and wrong, if there is no such thing as objective right and wrong. Then we went over the fact that God does not change. God is reality. Reality does not change. God is the standard by which all of reality is measured. He is science. He is math. He is reality. And reality does not change. Standards do not change. So there is no difference in the message between the messages of the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is one message. The Bible is one message from beginning to end. It tells the exact same story. It's not just a bunch of stories put together randomly, like the Quran a bunch of sayings that are thrown together like uh, Confucius's writings. The Bible is 66 books written by over 40 authors over a period of about two more than 1,500 years, and it all tells one story, and it all points to one person, and that one person is Christ, and Christ is God, and God made the law, and there is a penalty for violating the law. Now, we are given a choice of whether or not we are going to follow God, and we get that choice on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis. We are given choices, and we have an ultimate choice that we can make in our lives as to whether or not we're going to follow God. But once we die, or once God's judgment is finished, we don't have that choice anymore. You no longer have the choice. It's over. 
at that point. So you have to make the choice while you are alive on this earth. Because, and this is the last portion, this is the last segment of this series, because there will be a judgment. And that judgment will be 100% righteous. And the basis of that judgment is going to be, were you perfect? Or did you accept my grace and forgiveness? If the answer to both of those questions is no, then you will pay the penalty for disobedience. Now, a lot of people think, oh, that's harsh and that's not fair. And God said, no, 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 no. We're not talking about fair from your perspective. God doesn't judge on a curve. God is perfect. And he only accepts perfection. And you can either be perfect in and of yourself, which is impossible, or you can accept Christ's perfection and God's forgiveness. But in order to do that, you have to actually be able to admit that you are not perfect. And that's the, that's the really hard pill that a lot of people have to swallow. But God is perfect love. God is perfect love. Yes, God is 100% perfect love. But your definition of love and his definition of love are two different things. And seeing as he is the creator of everything, his definition of love, as a matter of fact, his definition of everything trumps your definition of anything. If your definition is out of phase with his definition, you're the one that's wrong, not him. That's just the way it is. He is the creator. You are the creation. The creation is in no position to judge the creator. Now, back to love. You cannot have, God is perfect love, that is true, but you cannot have love, perfect love, without perfect justice. And that's what we're going to talk about in this last segment. This last segment is about God's perfect justice. Now, it was going to be a little bit different. I had it set out as to how I was going to do it. However, I got contacted on Twitter by an individual whose tweet seemed to me to be very sincere, very heartfelt, and it expressed a, an emotion that I think a lot of Christians, a lot of people, are feeling, especially right now, but especially Christians. And because of the way that he phrased it, I'm, I'm assuming it's a male, I could be wrong, um, but because of the way that they phrased it and because it was appeared to me to be very sincere, I decided to alter the way that I was going to do this particular segment. And I was going to roll some stuff into this particular segment that I was not originally going to roll into it. Originally, I was just going to talk about God's judgment. And this was going to be a pretty short segment, fairly short segment. But I'm going to have to expand it because there needs to be a message of hope for those of us who are feeling the same way that this individual is feeling. And there are a lot of us who are feeling this way, and I feel this way. Let's take a look at what they said real quick. This is from... Jelly Kid on Twitter at JellyKid451. And uh, Jelly, I want to thank you for reaching out. This is one of the best comments I've gotten 
from my show. Jelly says, whatever his truth, capital H, meaning God, meaning Christ, I wish he would take the world away from demons, as we've discussed before. The Everything that is happening on this earth is the result of a spiritual war between God and Satan. Satan is real. Demons are real. I'm not a hardcore Christian, he says. I'm not a hardcore Christian. I prefer to, quote, pray in my closet, and I get that. But I am having trouble believing in goodness with so much evil so rampant over the entire world. And let me tell you, there's a lot of us who are feeling that way. It is something that I pray about, and I'm sure millions of Christians all over the world are praying about. Evil seems to be on a great big tear right now. And it's hard to say which way this is going to go, honestly. I personally, based on what I've seen, and based on the scriptures that I have read, believe that the reason that there is such a giant push right now by Satan, this is kind of a battle of the bulge for him, because I believe there is one more huge revival, and it's happening right now all over the world. It's just now starting to touch the West in the United States specifically. And because of that great revival that is coming, Satan is making a really big push against it. Because with a revival comes the Holy Spirit, and with the Holy Spirit comes restraint of Satan himself. The Holy Spirit is the restrainer. And so Satan is going to be restrained greatly in the face of this revival. I think this revival is going to be huge, but I also think it's going to be fairly short-lived. I'm guessing that, personally, I think it's going to be max about 40 years. However, there is the distinct possibility that it could be 80 years could be a hundred years. I don't know. I do know that, or I, I strongly believe that after this particular revival, the church is going to fade into what it currently resembles in the West right now, in the United States right now, but is changing. I think it is going to fade into something that is ineffectual that is very new age, that is rolled into a an all-inclusive, accepting, uh, warm and fuzzy, ineffective church that no longer teaches the gospel. And when that happens, I believe the rapture is going to come, and after the rapture, I think, is going to start the tribulation. That's what I think is going to happen. But that's another story for another time. I want to get back to this lament of evil that we have in our time right now. And there are a lot of parts of the Bible where the writers lament the evil that's going on in the world and, and how long, oh Lord, are you going to allow this to happen to us? But a very little known place where this is perfectly written out, especially for these times right now, is a, a very unusual book, and a very short book. It's one of the minor prophets, but one of my favorites, Habakkuk. Let's take a quick look here. The very beginning of Habakkuk, the, the, the thing that makes Habakkuk unusual is that Habakkuk is not your typical prophet in that God doesn't just give him a vision and then Habakkuk goes out and preaches about it. Rather, 
It is a conversation between Habakkuk and God, kind of reminiscent of the conversation between Job and God at the end of the book of Job. And this book, Habakkuk, sums up perfectly how all of us are feeling. And if you, and I'm talking to you, Jelly, and if anybody else out there who is feeling like Jelly, uh, who who just are wondering about how evil is being allowed to, to apparently triumph in the world and, and why God is, is apparently sitting silent, this is the book you need to read. You don't need to be a hardcore Christian to study the Bible. And I don't mean just read the Bible. I mean study the Bible. Get in there. Learn what the individuals meant when they wrote it. I'm talking about learning about what was the cultural context of the time. What was the political context of the time? What was the economic context of the time? All of these things take the Bible from being a two-dimensional type of situation to a three-dimensional type of situation, something that we can all understand. And in order to get that kind of knowledge of the Bible, you have to study it. You have to not only read it, but you have to get into the commentaries of other people who have come before and truly studied it. Personally, one of the best that I have ever uh, seen, and this is a sh- this is a plug for uh, the Plano Bible Church. Look up Sonic Light. That's one word. Soniclight.com, and you will be taken to the commentary of uh, Doctor Constable, and he uh, is just brilliant, brilliant commentary. But there's there's a bunch of other commentarians out there that you can get into. I use a whole bunch of them in preparation for my sermons. Anyway, back to Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1. And Habakkuk gives his first complaint to God. And this is the complaint that Jelly is feeling. This is the complaint that uh, I personally am feeling and that a lot of Christians out there are feeling. Verse 1, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. And that's how we all feel. That's how a lot of us feel, anyway. There are others out there who are celebrating the lack of justice and the lawlessness. As a matter of fact, we currently have a government, and this was written at the time when Israel, this was just before Babylon conquered Judah, when Judah had a, their, their last good king was gone and they, their government was completely corrupt in the same situation that we are in right now in the United States. Anyway, some things that I want to point out about God. God is perfect justice. Let's go to Isaiah 6.3 and just we're going to go through some of these verses and just look at the character of God. Isaiah 6.3 states, And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. When something is repeated twice in the Bible, it's very important. When something is repeated three times in the Bible, it is like, listen the heck up. It is telling us to pay great attention. And when it says holy, the term holy means set apart, different from, in this particular case, perfect. 
and it is holy, holy, holy. He is so different, so perfect, that even humans cannot fathom his perfection and his holiness. Psalm 711 says, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. We're not alone in the way we feel. As a matter of fact, the way we as Christians feel about the wickedness that is going on in the world today, the reason that we feel that is because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And the Holy Spirit is feeling that wickedness, and we are feeling that wickedness because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is saddened and angry because of the injustice and the evil that's going on in the world. And we are feeling that through the Holy Spirit as Christians. Deuteronomy 32.4 The Rock, not the Rock, but nod to Dwayne Johnson out there. The Rock, his perfect work, or his work is perfect. For all his ways are, note this word, justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Daniel 4, 17 through 25. This is a long one. I'm not going to get, you know what? Yeah, I am. We got the time and, and we deserve to hear this. This is where Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that none of his uh, wise men could interpret. And so they brought Daniel, uh, who in the uh, uh, Chaldean Babylonian language uh, was named Belteshazzar, was brought forth because he had a reputation for being very wise and he was brought before the king. And despite a lot of thought uh, on the subject, Nebuchadnezzar was not a bad guy at heart. He was just a simple guy uh, who was, he wasn't a very bright necessarily person, but he was easily led astray. And, uh, and, and this, uh, uh, Daniel liked uh, Nebuchadnezzar as a person, as we're going to see. Anyway, starting in verse 17, the sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end, that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Note, he is still referring to his pagan gods. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all under which beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven, and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, 
in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat the grass like an ox, you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. This is extremely powerful, folks, especially considering when we look at where the wickedness is currently centered. It is centered in our government. And this is a time, this is referring to a time when Nebuchadnezzar had gotten a little bit too full of himself and he had gotten a little bit too proud. And God knocked him down and explained to him that I am the one who decides who gets to be in charge of what. And just to let you know who is really in charge, I am going to knock you down. God is completely in charge, even when it appears that he is not, even when a government has gone completely and totally corrupt and evil and wicked and lawless. Second Peter verse three nine The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is, I think, the main crooks that we need to be aware of. When we look at all the evil that is going on, and we want God to come down and take control and we want Jesus' second coming, and we want the Messiah's rule over the earth as it is described in Revelation. God wants that too, but at the same time, once that happens, once God's final judgment comes down, and of course his final judgment isn't until after the millennial range, but that's a totally different sermon, once God's final judgment comes down, final is final. It's over. And so God is extending the time till his final judgment to give everybody as long a time as possible to repent and turn to him. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He is not a cosmic killjoy standing up there just waiting for you to screw up and waiting for a chance to grab you and throw you into hell because you're not perfect. That's not what he is. He's trying to save you from your imperfection. He's trying to save you from your sin. He doesn't want you to go to hell. The decision of whether or not you go to hell is yours. The fact that hell exists is just a place of eternal separation from God and eternal punishment for your rebellion against God. You don't have to go there. That's the whole point of Christ. That's what the point of Christ is. You don't have to go there. Okay? You can be with God in paradise for eternity. It's a free gift. You don't even have to do anything. Unlike what a lot of so-called Christian churches teach, there's no such thing as Jesus and. 
salvation. It's just Jesus. And again, that's a sermon for another time, but that's one that I hit on many, many times that I just despise that, that, oh, well, yes, you have to accept Jesus, but you have to do this and you have to be that and you have to have done this and you got to do these and you got to follow these rules. No, 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 that is not the case. Those are lies. That is legalism. It is a lie. That is as much uh, a message of Satan as this all-inclusive Christ that I've been railing against recently. And I despise legalism just as much as I despise this all-accepting, candy-coated Christ. You don't need that. You don't need to do anything. If you could do stuff to get into heaven, if you could earn your way into heaven, there wouldn't be a need for Christ. So if you're out there thinking that 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 to become a Christian you have to follow all these rules and this, that, and the other, and you have to do this and you have to know, that is not what makes you saved. What makes you saved is admitting that you are not perfect and that you are not worthy to be with God and accepting that Christ, who is God, paid the penalty for your sin so that you could be with God. That's it. That's all. Nothing else. Matter of fact, I'm going to do another just based on this, I'm going to do another uh, segment on what it takes to be saved because that's one of my pet peeves. I hate when people preach that garbage. All right, we're going to continue on here. Got Mark chapter 9, verses 36 through 42. And he took a child, Jesus, and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me, God the Father. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. But truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. This is extremely telling, especially because it is becoming more and more apparent that the wicked, evil people who are currently running this nation are actually part of a pedophilic cult that is being made abundantly clear by the assault of the pride community on our children. And they have said publicly multiple times, we are coming for your children. Well, for those of you out there who are coming for our children and who desire to steer our children away from Christ, Mark chapter 9 verse 42 is for you. God is perfect justice. Proverbs 16 5 Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished.
Now this next one here. This next one points to a time, or this is Jesus talking about the end times. And I want to want to point out a couple of things here. This is uh, where Jesus again is talking about uh, the end times. I'm going to start in verse 22. And he said to his disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. That's kind of where we are right now. And they will say to you, Look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and the light and lights up the sky, from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And that's what we're going through right now. Now, this is the important part. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given into marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, but on the day when Lot went out of Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Folks, we're looking forward. Those of us who are Christians are looking forward to the day when Christ comes. For the day when he establishes his rule on earth. And his rule will be a perfect rule. It will be perfect justice. And it will be rejected by many. The Bible actually says after the millennial reign that the number of people who rise up in rebellion against Christ are like the sands of the sea. That's how many people will rise up against their creator. You know, I used to not understand how that was even possible because it happens twice in the book of Revelation. Once right before the millennial reign and once after the millennial reign. And I just didn't understand how anyone could possibly see visibly see their creator in front of them and rise up and physically try to defeat him in war. It made absolutely no sense to me before. And I preached on Revelation multiple times over the years. It didn't make any sense to me until just very recently, starting around 2015-ish. 2015, 2016, and it got hammered home in 2019 and 2020. Now I have absolutely no problem believing it. None whatsoever. The wickedness that is going on right now is, up to this point, unprecedented. But it's going to get worse. Like I said, I think we've got one revival coming, one last great awakening, one last great revival that is going to stomp on the world's concept of a great reset. And then after that, the world is going to get exactly what the world has wanted, and that is a world without God. The people of God are going to be removed 
the Holy Spirit, his influence is going to back off. The restrainer is going to be pulled back. And Satan is going to be able to have his way on earth. And all of you out there who despise Christians, all of you out there who wish that we would just disappear from the earth, I promise you, I promise you 100% it is going to happen. I promise you 100% that you are going to get your one world government. You are going to get your one world religion that is all accepting and all inclusive except for Christians. And anybody who is a Christian in that time who converts to Christianity, you will be able to hunt them down and kill them to your heart's content. I promise you, this is going to happen. I also promise you, it's only going to last for seven years. What happens after that? Let's take a look. Revelation chapter 20, 11 through 13. Then I saw a great white throne, and him, Jesus, who was seated on it. From his, Jesus' presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Great and small means very important people or people who considered themselves to be very important in their time. Great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. There's going to be a judgment, folks. And the reason that God is delaying is because... He wants to give everybody as much of a chance as possible to turn to him. Because once that judgment happens, that's it. It's over. Doors are closed. There's no turning back. Right now there is turning back. Right now you got a chance. As long as you're breathing on this planet, you've got a chance. Even through the tribulation, when things that are happening now are going to look like a, a, a Cub Scout jamboree. Even through the tribulation, you're still going to have the opportunity to turn back and turn to him. But after that, after that judgment right there, it's over. It's done. To get technical about it, the books that he is talking about here are the books of your life. Everything that you do, everything that you say, everything that you think, everything that you don't think, everything that you don't say, everything that you don't do is written down in the book of your life. And then, on his other hand, is going to be another book called the Book of Life. And he's going to open up the book of your life. And he's going to go through everything that you did. And everything that you said. And everything that you thought. And then he's going to open up the book of life to see if your name is in it. And he's not going to find it. 
if you're standing at this particular judgment here, that's only a formality to prove to you that he is just as if he had to prove anything to you. But to show that he is just, he is going to look to see if you accepted his forgiveness through Christ and if your name is written in the book of life. And if he doesn't find it, you're going to be judged on the book of your life by what you did. And you are going to be found to be imperfect. And being found imperfect, you cannot be in the presence of perfection. And you will be sentenced to spend the rest of eternity separated from God. And a lot of you are thinking, oh, well, that's cool, because I'm like uh, Samuel Clements, who said that I prefer uh, heaven for climate, but hell for company. It ain't like that, folks. Hell is not some great big party where you're separated from God and you can do anything you want and have fun. One of the things, one of the first things that you're going to realize, other than the heat and the intense pain, is the fact that all of the good things that happened on earth had nothing to do with you. All the while that you said, I don't believe in God because there's evil on the earth. So if there's evil on the earth, there can't be God blaming God for the evil, blaming God for the bad stuff that happened instead of realizing that we're the ones that cause the bad stuff and that God is the one who causes the good stuff. You're going to find out immediately that there is nothing good in hell. There's nothing to enjoy. There is no pleasure. There is only pain. And it is eternity separated from God. Once that judgment happens right there, it's over. There is no turning back. Unless your name is written in the book of life on his right hand, That's it. And that's your choice. That's the reason that he is waiting for this judgment, is to give you as much opportunity as possible to turn away, to turn your heart towards him, to repent. My fellow Christians out there, when we realize that this is the case, that those people whose names are not written in the book of life, people who we know, maybe we don't resent his waiting so much. And this waiting is not without precedent. He did the same thing with uh, before the blood. He saw all the wickedness and wanted to do something about it. But he said, I'm going to wait another 120 years just to give him a chance. He's doing the same thing here. He is waiting. But as it says in Second Peter, he's not being slow as, as we consider slowness. He's doing us a favor. He's doing everybody a favor. So if you haven't made that decision... I would strongly suggest that you think really hard about it. Because this is what awaits you otherwise. If you don't want to be with God here on earth, why would you want to be with him in eternity? Well, the alternative ain't that great, folks. Anyway, that's what I had to say. I'm sure a lot of you don't like what you heard today and want to reject it and hate it. That's the part of the God of the Bible that most people hate. His judgment. The fact that he is justice. Everybody's all cool with the love and 
the warm, fuzzy feelings and the forgiveness and so on and so forth. But in order to get forgiveness, you actually have to admit that you've done something wrong. And if you can't admit that, you don't get the forgiveness. That's the way forgiveness works. Anyway, folks, if you think that this will be helpful to people you know, please share this video and podcast episode out there. You can get my other videos on bitshoot.com, rumble.com, and odyssey.com, O-D-Y-S-E-E.com. You can hit me up for questions, comments, or concerns at uh, Doc Bryant Show at zohomail.com, Z-O-H-O-Mail.com. That's my email address. Doc Bryant Show, one word, at zohomail.com. You can also hit me up in the comments uh, down there uh, if this is, if you're watching the video. Uh, you can get my podcast uh, anywhere that you can get podcasts except for Apple because I will not fill out their paperwork. Uh, and you can reach me on uh, uh, Getter, Gab, Minds, Truth Social, at Doc Bryant, and on Twitter at Doc Bryant Actual. Thank you for listening, folks. Please consider what I have said here. Make the right decision. I'm begging you. And I'm praying for you. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you all later.